At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're kicking off our scout series for the 2022 season with a very special guest. I know I say that often, but this one truly is very special. We're joined by Connor Glassie, the Cleveland Guardians area scout for the Pacific Northwest and now Northern California as well. This one's especially special because Connor worked at Baseball America for five years back from 2008 to 2013 and is one of many former Baseball Americans now working for teams, whether it's in a scouting capacity or a front office capacity. Connor, first and foremost, welcome in. You used to host podcasts like this how's it feel being on the other side of it I did yeah thanks for having me Kyle this is this is great this is a really fun opportunity absolutely so Connor the main reason we wanted to have you on is you were the signing scout for Stephen Kwan who's been one of the stories of the early season Uh, you signed him out of Oregon State back during the 2018 draft and we're going to get into the process of signing Stephen and just everything that went into that but first I want to get into your background a little bit because you have one of the more fascinating backgrounds you joined Baseball America in 2008 originally as an intern became a full-timer and from there went into scouting so first and foremost how did that transition kind of occur and, and what was it like for you both at BA and then moving into scouting? Yeah. So I, you know, I always tell players that I got into this a little bit differently than, than most scouts. I mean um, you know, the more traditional path into things is, is playing at a high level or coaching at a high level. That's kind of the, the typical way guys get into scouting. Um, for me, you know, I didn't have either of those things to, to kind of fall back on. I, I played, in a rec league with my friends in high school, but I I didn't play for my high school team. I didn't obviously play past high school, but I always, you know, just loved the game and wanted to try and find a way to stay involved with the game. And uh, for me, that was through journalism. So, you know, I grew up in the, in the Seattle area um, and then went to central Washington university, studied journalism and, you know, got a, got a job with a small newspaper after that, tried to find ways to write about baseball whenever I could. Um, And then, you know, I, I subscribed to Baseball America at the time. I loved reading about Baseball America, um, reading about, you know, the amateur players and cover, you know, reading about the draft. Um, it's funny, even when I had that newspaper job, I, I would take sick days like during the draft so I could follow the draft and, and watch like that first year when it was on ESPN or MLB Network or whatever it was. Um, so then when I realized, you know, reading through Baseball America magazine that they had an internship program and that they didn't require their interns to be college students, that really piqued my interest of, hey, maybe this is a path I could go go down and explore. And I um, basically bothered John Manuel uh, until he allowed me to come out there and, and intern, um, which was a unique experience because I was, I was already married at the time, obviously had a job, my wife is a teacher, um, but you know, God bless her. She, she allowed me to, uh, to basically move across the country while she stayed here in Seattle and taught 
and let me go out to North Carolina and um, intern for free, basically. And, and so we spent basically a year on opposite coasts, um, you know, while I pursued, you know, what was my dream job at the time of writing for Baseball America. Um, and then eventually got hired. Um, and she obviously came out and, and joined me and, and got a teaching job out there. And we spent, I spent five years out there. She was there four years. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I covered, covered the draft for Baseball America. So, um, you know, was able to kind of build up that database of seeing players, other guys get through, you know, playing or, or coaching against those guys. I was able to get it by covering the draft for the magazine. So obviously being in, you know, the, the Raleigh-Durham area is great for amateur baseball coverage with, you know, the, the schools that are there and the USA Baseball Complex is there. And then as the, the draft writer for the magazine, I spent, you know, my summers going around to all the big showcase events. So being able to see, you know, what the best high school players in the country look like for, you know, five consecutive, four, four consecutive years, basically, um, of covering, you know, those guys and seeing what top college players look like, top high school players look like, and then kind of building a, a network of scouts that, you know, I was able to pick their brains and, and learn from them. So um, covering the draft kind of gave me a little bit of that experience to kind of, um, you know, see, see what, what scouts are looking at and see what players look like at different stages in their, you know, amateur careers. Um, and then I, you know, I, I knew that um, guys at Baseball America before me had gone into, into scouting. I think Josh Boyd was the first one to do it. Um, Alan Matthews and Chris Klein after that. And then, and then Matt Blood was the, uh, you know, the, the most recent one from when I was there to go do it. And that's actually, the reason I got hired is because Matt left to take a job with the Cardinals and that opened up a spot for me when I was an intern there. So it was always something that was in, in the back of my mind a little bit. Um, you know, but I kind of knew if, if I was going to go down that path, it would, it would have to be in the right spot and being able to, to move back home and get a job in the Northwest was perfect because um, my wife and I both grew up here. So it allowed, us to kind of have some stability when I was on the road a lot she had family and friends that she could spend time with and, and things like that so um yeah moved move back home after the 2013 draft and, and was lucky enough to get hired by Cleveland in uh 2014. I have to ask I've heard some of these stories just banded about in the office what's your personal favorite crazy draft coverage story. I know there was a night you drove out to Tennessee and back, I believe, with Nathan Rohde to see uh, a pretty good match. Once and Nikki Delmonico was involved. What, what are some of your favorite craziest draft stories from your time at BA? Yeah, that was really fun. Um, you know, Nathan Rohde and I were, were not only coworkers, we were like next door neighbors practically. He would pick me up on his way to work and, and um, you know, give me a ride to work every day. And he and his wife helped me and, Cheryl get our, our dog. So obviously, you know, a uh, really close relationship there, but we, we drove around a lot together. And when I say we drove around, I mean, basically he drove me around a lot. Um, and yeah, we, we took a, a cannonball run out to uh, Tennessee to go see Daniel Norris was actually the, the draft player in Nikki Delmonica. There was a bunch of guys playing on that, on that, um, in that matchup that day. That was a fun day, but yeah, it was there and back. Um, we took a trip down to go see, Byron Buxton during the spring. And then we uh, had a great trip down to see um, Clint Frazier versus Austin Meadows, which I think is still like 
the most scouts I've ever seen at one one game. How many would you say were there? Yeah, there there had to been like uh, like sixty to seventy scouts there. It felt like, I mean, there and like some some big time guys. I remember Jason Veritek was there, and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> Absolutely. In terms of you know your time at Baseball America, as you mentioned, there were a lot of people before you and after you that have taken that path what was kind of the biggest surprise or, or the biggest thing you learned moving into scouting? Cause so much of what's going on at BA does replicate in a lot of ways, a lot of the ways organizations work in terms of the process, but there's always things you never really know about until you're really in it. What was kind of the, the biggest surprise or, or biggest adjustment you had to kind of deal with? Well, a couple things. I mean, I think <clears throat> covering the draft at baseball America was great. Like I said, because it allowed me to see a lot of, a lot of top players but I think so much of my focus, you know, writing at the magazine was, was the cream of the crop, you know, the top, top guys. And a lot of times, like, those guys, you know, can be pretty obvious, right? Um, so I think the biggest adjustment was, just, you know, moving from, from that role to being an area scout was just sort of like the depth of coverage. Like, not, I mean, obviously, as an area scout, you, you're, you're focused on your whole list. And when, um, you know, when I started, obviously, there were still 40 rounds. And so um, I think just, just focusing on the, the depth of the list and, and knowing kind of what the bottom of that list looks like and not just focused on the cream of the crop, you know, first five round kind of guys um, was the biggest adjustment. And and luckily, I was able to, when I, when I moved back home, I was able to spend um, one spring as a bird dog for Gabe Sandy, who was with the Marlins at the time. Um, so I kind of ran around for, with him, and, and he taught me a lot of things about, you know, scouting an area and, and what to look for, you know, in those middle rounds and the late rounds and things like that. Um, so I think that was probably the, the biggest adjustment. And then just, you know, the adjustment of, you know, at Baseball America, a lot of it was based on covering the events in the summer and then, you know, games here and there throughout the spring. Um, whereas as an area scout, it's every single day. It's, you know, uh, a game a day, two games a day, um, and really filling up that, that calendar. So the, the time management aspect of it was an adjustment too. How would you say Baseball America prepared you for a scouting job? What did BA do that made the transition easier? Um, I think having the, the depth of knowledge of like seeing the, the players I was able to see in college and in high school covering the, the showcase circuit, you know, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, when I, when I first came out to North Carolina, um, Dustin Ackley and Kyle Seeger were at North Carolina, Matt Harvey was a sophomore. Um, you know, I was able to see Carlos Rodon at NC State, Trey Turner at NC State, Marcus Stroman at Duke. And then guys who came through, obviously, like, um, you know, I remember going to see Chris Sale pitch in college. Um, yeah, so many college players. And then, and then just seeing the, the top-level high school guys, like getting that understanding of what, you know, elite looks like at a, at a high school level and, um, you know, being able to know what, what Manny Machado's actions and body and swing looked like in high school or, or Chris Bryant, you know. Um, those were guys I, I was – lucky enough to see in high school. So I think just um, that aspect of it, getting that sort of like national picture um, 
really helped. And then um, obviously, you know, I developed a lot of good relationships with scouts and guys who I could pick their brains. So kind of um, learning from guys who have been doing it for a really long time. Um, and then, you know, I interviewed a lot of players and that, that that's part of what I do now is, you know, really get to know players and talk to them and talk to their coaches and things like that. So I think the, the interview skills and the um, knowing my way around the computer has really helped me too. But yeah, it's always, it's, it's interesting. I always I like to tell people that the word scout actually comes from a French word, which means to listen. And you're right. A lot of the skills are transferable and, and, and it certainly is interesting, the intersection between journalism and, and at the end of the day, it's understanding people and what people can do. And journalism certainly helps prepare us for that. Connor, you mentioned kind of scouting the, the mid to late rounds, and we are going to talk about Stephen Kwan, but he was not your first big leaguer. Your first big leaguer was Eli Morgan, who you signed out of Gonzaga. He was an eighth round pick of the Guardians organization in 2017. First and foremost, how did those skills kind of apply in terms of, again, scouting the, the mid-level guys? Because again, Eli Morgan was not a top, top guy as an eighth rounder. And then what was the process like of watching a guy you signed ascend the minors and make his major league debut last year? Yeah, it was um, obviously really, really exciting. Um, you know, I, I was just so happy for Eli. You know, I, I knew kind of the work he had put in, you know, to get there, to, to come to Gonzaga and, um, you know, really improve himself there and then continue to work to improve himself as a professional. The, so to see him get that opportunity, it was just really exciting for me. Uh, I know, you know, I know I had my family over, we had a little barbecue and watched him pitch and, um, but mostly I was just, just so happy to, you know, know that he did it. What are some of the things you look for in a guy like that you mentioned a mid round guy who's not a, a creme de la creme type of guy? Was it just, you're looking for a particular skill and in this case, he has a fantastic change up. Is that kind of the process once you get past the top, top guys? Sure. Yeah, that was it. I mean, you know, he was a guy who was, was in their rotation for them pitching the Cape. So you, you kind of see, you know, his ability to pitch stood out. Um, he, he always put the Zags in the good spot to, to win games and um, was really competitive. And, yeah, that changeup stood out for him. He threw it a lot um, and got a lot of swings and misses on it. And you could tell it was, it was a quality pitch. All right, Connor. So we're going to dive into the process behind signing Stephen Kwan. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, we are back with Connor Glassy, the uh, Pacific Northwest and Northern California area scout for the Cleveland Guardians. Connor, we mentioned before that the first big leader you signed was Eli Morgan. He was an eighth round pick of the Guardians during the 2017 draft. The following year, you scouted and ultimately signed an outfielder out of Oregon State, Stephen Kwan, who was selected in the fifth round by the Guardians. And we're still very, very, very early in the season. We're less than two full weeks into the season, but already Stephen Kwan has become one of the most talked about players in Major League Baseball. He reached base 15 times in his first 19 plate appearances, 
and did not swing and miss for his first 116 swings. Became a little bit of a social media phenomenon, became someone whose name was on everyone's lips. I want to go back to who he was at Oregon State and kind of the process. So first and foremost, when was the first time you saw or or scouted Stephen Kwan? Well, I I saw him, the first time I would have seen him would have been the the fall when he came in as a freshman. Um, He came in with a pretty loaded freshman class, you know, Nick Madrigal and Caden Grenier and Trevor Larnick were, were all a part of that same class. So that would have been the first time I see him, would have seen him. Um, you know, he didn't play very much as a freshman. So you would just see him, you know, saw him in the fall, saw him, you know, pregame and stuff like that. Um, you know, but at that time, the focus was obviously on, you know, more of those kind of bigger names, I would say. Um, but then, you know, his sophomore year started to kind of open some eyes a little bit. That's when you, you got himself into the lineup a little bit more. Um, and, you know, you could see this, this guy could, could run, um, played a good center field. Um, and he was just sort of that energy guy at the top of the lineup, you know, spark plug, um, kind of got things going for a really good Oregon state team, you know, um, 17 and 18, those guys went 111 and 18. So they were obviously loaded. They were obviously um, a lot of fun to watch. Um, but yeah. Yeah. What appealed him about? You mentioned he was a spark plug and he was a leadoff hitter on a team that eventually won the College World Series in 2018. So you saw him performing against high level competition, kind of the top of the college baseball world. What appealed about him to you just in terms of his skill set and what you thought could transfer really well into Pro Ball? So, like I said, I mean, he was a little bit overshadowed by some of the bigger names in that lineup. Um, Obviously, Madrigal and Larnick and Vernier, I mean, they went really good in the draft. And Rutschman was a sophomore, and he went 1-1, obviously, the year after. Um, So, with Steven, I mean, he wasn't a guy that that was going to really wow you, like, in one look. Like, if you just saw that team, um, he he wasn't, like, showing – crazy tools. It was really going to open your eyes. But the more you watch that team, the, you, you know, you, you realize he could do the little things. Like he was at the top of the lineup. He was always getting on base. He was always, you know, scoring runs and, and just sort of like the, like I said, kind of the catalyst of that team. And, um, you know, so you, you know, you, you had to watch him a little bit to kind of piece it together a little bit more. Cause I, I would say, you know, his, his, uh, what he brings to the table is more skill-based than necessarily tool-based, um, but he could run. I mean, you, you, would, you would see the occasional, like, 70 run time out of him, um, and it fluctuated a little bit. He had some hamstring issues during college, but, um, but then, yeah, you watch him play center field. He played really good defense. So it was just one of those guys that you kind of had to bear down on a little bit to, to piece it all together, but at the end of the day, you know, you put it all together and, and you realize like, wow, this guy's a really good player. And then, you know, the thing that really kind of um, started to, to really piece it together for me was just when I got to know him, when I got to, when I, you know, interviewed him and got to know kind of his backstory and realized like, you know, he was not, you know, not very well uh, recruited out of high school and, and came to Oregon state. And, and that, like, like I said, he struggled that freshman year. And I actually kind of saw that as a plus because he used that as motivation to work and to get himself better. Um, so a lot of times, you know, in scouting, you, you kind of wonder a lot of these guys, they've never failed. 
Um, and so you wonder, you know, you know it's going to happen for them at some point, whether it's in the minor leagues, whether it's in, you know, the big leagues, but, but these guys are going to struggle at some point. They're going to go through something. And a lot of times you have to kind of wonder how they're going to handle that. But with Steven, he'd already been through that. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to guess, you know, he had been through some struggles. He had been through some, some downtimes and it lit a fire under him. He, he put in the work, he, you know, changed his swing around and, and you could see the results. Yeah, he progressively improved throughout his college career. You mentioned that freshman year didn't play a lot, but did get into 35 games, hit 215 sophomore year, all the way up to 331. And then 2018, that year, Oregon State won the College World Series. He was a huge part of it. Hit 355 with a 463 on base percentage. And the slugging percentage, it wasn't super loud, but you saw some doubles, you saw some triples. Ultimately, when it came time to write your report, what did you write him up as? What did you think he could be? Did you see everyday potential or was it more fourth outfield bench guy just given the high contact, but maybe power questions? Yeah, so I would say um, a couple things. Like I thought he was going to be, I thought he was going to be a good player. I thought, you know, what you saw was, was real. Um, I thought he could control the strike zone. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I wrote that there was going to be some more impact there because um, not only was I able to see it myself, I was, at, I remember being at um, Oregon State played Portland and they played at the, the pro park in Hillsboro. Um, and I was there with my, my cross checker, actually, John Hureman, and we saw him get into a ball and hit a, hit a home run down the right field line. Um, but like I said, just, just learning about him, learning, you know, what kind of cage rat he was and talking to Tyler Graham was a, uh, one of the hitting coaches there. Um, and he, he flat out told me, he's like, Connor, this guy's going to impact the ball more than he does now. He's really just kind of doing what coach Casey wants him to do. And that's get on base, set the table, hit singles, draw walks, um, just get on base any way he can. He's like, but he can, he can find the barrel and he's going to like, he's going to grow into, you know, impacting the baseball more than he does now. So that, you know, that for me was, was huge. I mean, Tyler was someone who worked with him every day, um, had been a big leaguer himself and kind of knew, you know, how this guy, you know, what he was capable of. So that, that helped reassure me that there was more than, than what we were seeing. He goes into pro ball 2018-2019. He hits for average, more walks and strikeouts. Power numbers were still low. Was that in line with your expectations that thump it would take a few years to kind of materialize? Yeah, yeah. I th- you know, I think that's fair. But again, it's just a testament to um, the work that, that he's willing to put in. You know, this guy is a grinder. I mean, he, he gets after it every single day. And that's why, you know, it's so awesome to, to see what he's been doing. The 2020 minor league season obviously was canceled. He came back in 2021, and this was when he really, really broke out in terms of the wider prospect world. I remember he missed some time with injuries, but once he came back, you started seeing his name on some leaderboards, and occasionally you'd hear a couple scouts say, hey, you know, the Stephen Kwan guy, you know, he might be something. And as the year went on and he just stayed healthier and healthier and kept hitting and hitting, the reviews got louder and louder. I highlighted him last year as someone in the upper levels who could be a breakout kind of candidate, the type of guy that sometimes gets overlooked because everyone's so busy canvassing the lower levels. What were you seeing from him last year? And just in terms of that's when we saw the power go up a little bit and he did a lot of that damage in Akron, which is a pretty pitcher-friendly ballpark seven homers and only 51 games did it surprise you how much it kind of clicked all at once 
Well, you know, um, I would say I was just sort of kind of following from him from afar, you know. Um, but I would say the reason it, it didn't surprise me is just like I said. I mean, I know what kind of worker this guy is. Um, I know how good our player development staff is at, you know, helping guys get the most out of their, their skills um, and their tools. So um, that, that's the reason it wouldn't surprise me is just because, you know, the work that, that he puts in, the willingness he, he's um, willing to work through changes and try different things and, um, you know, his drive. He was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues last year. It was only 77 games, but when he was playing, he was pretty much unstoppable. Hit 328, 407, 527, 12 homers, 44 RBIs, 36 walks, only 31 strikeouts. Again, we saw the common themes of high average, more walks than strikeouts. You start to see the impact a little more. And just before opening day, the Guardians traded Bradley Zimmer. And that, in essence, is what opened up a spot for Quan on the opening day roster. How did that make you feel as a signing scout, seeing him earn a spot on an opening day roster? Because it's always special whenever the first call-up comes, but making an opening day roster, that's a little extra special. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I was kind of, um, you know, I, I knew he had been obviously added to the 40-man roster this winter, um, and, and I knew the year he put together last year. So I was, you know, hopeful and, and kind of expecting him to, to be up at some point this year. Yeah, to make the opening day roster was huge. And I was just, again, so excited for him, um, you know, for his family, just knowing everything he's been through and everything that he's worked to achieve. And it was all coming together for, for opening day. I mean, that, that was awesome. Um, and then just as, a, as kind of a funny aside, I mean, even always wore number four at Oregon State and Bradley Zimmer was number four. So when Bradley got traded, I texted Steve. I said, hey, man, I'm just saying number four is available. You know, just kind of as a joke, and, and he laughed. He goes, well, I'm going to see if there's some magic in number 38. So I think he's going to ride that out. But, yeah, no, I was just, just so happy for him. Throughout this process, how much contact did you maintain with Steven? Yeah, I've kept in touch with him. Like I said, I mean, that's, what, that's what's made this kind of extra special is just um, the person that he is. He's such a, such a great person. Makes him even easier to root for, you know, um, but yeah, we, we stayed in touch. We, uh, I know, you know, he had the hamstring injury during the college road series. I was after we, we drafted him. Um, so he, when he signed, he went to Arizona and kind of rehabbed for like the first month or something. And I, I happened to go down, you know, uh, to a, a summer tournament down in Arizona that summer. And so I was able to you know meet up with them and, um, take him out to dinner and then, um, we stayed in touch, you know, he would, he would return to, to Corvallis and, and train during the winter, go to class, you know, try to finish up his degree and train with those guys. And so whenever I would, you know, go through Corvallis, if it was in the fall or when, when he was there, we would meet up and have lunch or have dinner or something like that. And, you know, text him every now and then I was trying not to like blow him up too much because I'm sure he was getting bombarded, but I, I did text him and just told him how happy I was for him when, when he, when I saw that he made the opening day roster and then we've been, you know, texting back and forth a little bit, like I said, and um, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, so not only did he make the opening day roster, he was in the opening day starting lineup. You mentioned having a little barbecue for Eli Morgan. Did you have the same for Steven Kwan? Unfortunately not. No, I was actually um, like, like I mentioned to you, I, I'm uh, my, my territory got expanded this year. So I was down in Northern California watching, watching some baseball. Um, 
kind of had to like pull off the side of the road so I could like watch his first at bat on on my phone. <laughs> so it wasn't, um, you know, the, uh, the the family barbecue atmosphere, but it was still really exciting. Yeah, first at bat, ground out against Zach Granke, but then draws a walk against Granke, a potential future Hall of Famer second at bat. Goes up later in the game, the seventh, draws a walk against Jake Brents, and then ninth inning, steps up, first major league hit, single off of Scott Barlow on top of the ninth. Did you get a chance to watch that one? Were you able to pull out your phone for it? I'm embarrassed to say that I, I wasn't. I was at a high school game, and uh, a friend of mine texted me the clip. I had watched, watched the first two as I was – going to the game and then I was kind of locked in at the game and lost track of you know where they were in the lineup but my friend texted me a video clip of it so I I had to catch the highlight unfortunately well the good news is it was the first of many so that first game goes one for two with a pair of walks next game two for three next game five for five next game another hit next game another hit just completely absolutely goes off I have to ask what was it like for you watching him become a social media phenomenon kind of a, a cult hero again reach base 15 times in his first 19 plate appearances first player to reach base 15 times in his first four games since at least 1901 no one's done this in 120 years I mean, what were your thoughts seeing one of your guys not just perform but perform to a historic level yeah, I mean, it was it was really exciting that that first week of of uh, major league action coincided with me turning forty. So um, I was sort of uh, in my feelings, I guess, as the kids would say, um, and that helped to uh, you know lift my spirits and and uh, put a smile on my face. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm curious because, again, he was just all over social media. You see MLB and the Guardian's account. And I mean, all the experts just going crazy as you're scrolling social media. Was it what was that feeling like? Was it weird? I mean, I feel like it would be kind of crazy to see him becoming the star he became, if you will. Yeah, it was like I said, it, it was just awesome. Just because knowing him, like he's, he's such a great person. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He's really humble. He's really down to earth. He's really genuine. So um, it was just awesome knowing that, you know, this is a kid who's worked so hard for this um, and, and, you know, has kind of been overshadowed at times. And now to finally see some of the shine put on him, it's been great. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is like um, the attention I've received. I mean, you know, scouts are coming up to me, um, you know, talk to someone for an article, talk to you. Jim Callis gave me a shout out on MLB Network, which is awesome. But at the end of the day, like, I've been such a small piece of this puzzle. You know, we, in Cleveland, we have these um, organizational pillars that we use. And the acronym is CLE. And it stands for Collaboration, Learning, and Excellence. Those are kind of the things that we try to focus um, whenever we're making decisions. And, and you know, Stephen, drafting Stephen Kwan was – was 100% a collaborative effort. You know, yes, I was the scout who was lucky enough to to live up here and to be able to watch that loaded Oregon State team. But at the end of the day, you know, there were other scouts who saw him in the Cape that summer and and wrote him up. Um, I wrote a report on him, but we had my cross checker wrote a report. Other cross checkers wrote reports. Several other area scouts wrote reports whenever he would go into their area. Um, and then, you know, we kind of combine all that to, to make the selection. Um, and then the collaboration of, you know, scouting and player development. This is a guy who went into our system and was able to 
work really hard and, and keep improving. Um, so, you know, just want to highlight that it was a very collaborative effort. Absolutely. A collaborative effort and one that definitely looks like a big, big win for the organization so far. Uh, as of this recording, Quan has reached base in seven of his first eight games. He's established himself as a starting outfielder for the organization and certainly a guy that even if uh, the cult hero status tails off a little bit in the social media world we live in where people like to move on to the next big thing, uh, he clearly has this moment in history all to himself and certainly someone a lot of people think very highly of. I remember again last year just the buzz really started to build and there was a real sense this is a real big leaguer not a guy who's just going to have one hot week and then disappear this is someone who should be in the organization to stay for good connor thank you so so much for joining us we really appreciate it and uh congratulations again on, on both eli morgan and stephen kwam but especially the roller coaster i'm sure these last two weeks have been kyle yeah thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it my pleasure. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Connor Glassy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.